I would say the first thing, especially as a product design leader, is create great partnerships of trust and transparency with your product and engineering partners. I cannot say enough how helpful that has been to me in even acclimating into any culture that I've been in, especially at Uber. Because we move fast, if I don't create those partnerships early and build that trust with that group, then I think I wouldn't be as at least as successful to this point as I am. Without it, I would also say a learning that I have from Uber is be open to experimentation. I think that within the UX realm, we are sometimes known as folks that might be a little bit more rigid towards experimentation, and that could be putting something into the product and actually testing what it's like in the real life environment. That is an example of an experiment. We might want to do it as a quote A B test and and essentially put it into to product and test. And sometimes in a fast moving environment. Being open to that is is actually key, so that we can get results fairly quickly and then pivot. I think the the part that's important is set a plan in place when you you do have an organization that experiments to essentially pivot if something might have gone wrong with the experiment itself.、Uh, not having that plan, I think, would be a little bit detrimental to the UX user experience. I was just delighted to catch up with Andrea Baltazar in this latest episode of Digital Workplace Impact. We met years ago during Andrea's tenure as both a DWG member and a user experience leader at Wells Fargo. Fast forward to today, Andrea is a product design leader at Uber. She arrived there some six months ago, which gave us a wide range of topics to explore in our time together. Not only did we talk about Andrea's career trajectory, which I think you'll find a unique path to becoming a seasoned and successful user experience leader, we talked about how in recent years Andrea has truly tested her UX muscles by experimenting with different industry verticals, ranging from financial services to high tech. We talked about Andrea's first six months at Uber. From her onboarding journey, which was fully virtual, to the use of her hundred-day blueprint for stepping into any new role, it's one that centers around people, process, and product. As a parenthetical, I would say a challenge to you as a listener is to think about Andrea's blueprint. Whether you are stepping into a new role or you're looking for a fresh start approach to a longstanding role, we also explored what it's like to be a user experience leader inside of Uber and what it takes to. Be successful. We exchange some fresh perspectives about what Andrea sees now for digital workplace leaders and their teams sitting in a broader role. You'll hear some insights about aspiring to become a lifelong learner, paying forward your learnings as a mentor, being empathetic, and actively listening to the user needs. You'll hear about being a student of experimentation, the importance of building partnerships, and in Andrea's case, that's not only been with her teams and stakeholders, but also 
anchored around partnerships with engineers, data scientists, and product market experts around the globe at Uber. Whether you are a digital workplace or employee experience practitioner or leader, I think this episode will have some interesting takeaways for you. Reflecting on the conversation, I've also curated three interesting DWG resources that are included in the notes section of this episode. First is a blog post entitled, Putting Employees at the Center of Employee Experience. The second is DWG research entitled, Digital Workplace Anthropology, which looks at making sense of how humans work digitally. And the third and final is another piece from DWG's research library that centers around designing connected workplaces for tomorrow. As always, Digital Workplace Impact is brought to you by Digital Workplace Group. Happy listening. So, Andrea, it is just wonderful to have you in the studio today. A good excuse to catch up after a long history together. Of course, I'm excited to learn all about your new role at Uber. At least it's new for us uh, because it's been a little while since we've uh, connected last. And, of course, it'll be great exposure for those who had a chance to connect with you during your days at Wells Fargo and to hear what you're up to anew. So for the benefit of all ears, how did you get started as a user experience leader? And then if you can help us connect it to the work that you're doing at the present day, that would be fantastic. Sure. And, and Nancy, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to, to chat with you as well. Uh, I transitioned to UX from another career about 13 years ago. I entered the field literally by happenstance because someone took a chance on me. I have a non-traditional UX background. I have a history degree and an MBA and learned user experience entirely on the job. I first became a people manager early in my career as a UX professional uh, and had led teams prior to that in my prior career. I uh, knew early on that UX was the career for me. I love taking data, insights, and understanding of user behavior and integrating them into the designs that I created or my team created. And I was really able to just be both analytical and creative. And specifically about being a UX leader, I think anyone can be a leader. You don't have to have a title to lead efforts. And though I knew early on, I received a lot of energy through by coaching, mentoring, and helping people with their careers and really helping guide product and design strategy. Uh, I knew that that was something that I enjoyed doing. And early on in my career, like I mentioned, I, I just knew that being a UX leader was something that I gravitated towards. How does that translate into my current job? Uh, I currently am a product design leader here at Uber. I actually lead three different areas on our earner app. So an earner is anyone who can earn money on our platform. So think drivers, delivery folks, couriers. And specifically in the earner field, I have our earner growth, our earner verticals, and our earner access, vehicle access, and sustainability areas. That's quite a scope. And you mentioned that in everything that you've been doing since you ventured into the UX arena, there's been an element of coaching and mentoring in the mix. So one of the fundamental questions that comes to mind for me 
is looking at this role that you've undertaken, how do you define success at Uber? And then taking a step back, how do you define success for someone who's a career employee or user experience leader? Let me start with the career employee experience leader. I think that success could look like ensuring that you understand the entire life cycle of an employee as they engage with your company from the moment of application to a job, to acceptance, to resignation, and even beyond, because we do have folks who boomerang back and uh, go back to the company that they, they may have been employed at previously. Uh, trying to understand what would make an employee stay, what makes an employee leave, how they experience the company, would they recommend the company or not? There are just many facets uh, to dig into and understand. Um, and it's not just related to the digital experience, which I was an expert in it during my time at, at Wells Fargo. It really is trying to understand that whole life cycle for them. And I think that having that life cycle and continuing to monitor it as it changes over time, would contribute to the success of anyone who makes a career out of uh, focusing on the employee experience. And one of the things I'm thinking about in immediate reaction to that is there's a certain sense of trying to understand to be empathetic as well as understanding sort of the science and practice behind uh, the user research and all of the testing uh, activities that you undertake in order to achieve the designs for all of the different capabilities you were talking about earlier. You pretty much broadly described user experience. And and though we, I was talking specifically about employee experience, uh, it's entirely transferable to any type of experience that you might want to design for. Uh, and you asked about Uber, how do you define success as a UX leader at Uber? It really is all of those elements that you mentioned, the empathy, uh, understanding the data, understanding how you might use information and insights that come your way to design experiences for the people that use your product. And, and that's literally the definition of success for any of the UX leaders, product design leaders that we have at Uber. And you mentioned that you know you are um, sort of a homegrown um, employee experience leader versus someone who uh, started at the university level and, and built their career through their education first. And um, I'm certainly drawn to that as an approach. And I'm curious to know who have been among your most important mentors and your best go-to resources in supporting the transition that you made into this industry and why? I've been lucky enough in the last several years to have met amazing people in the UX and product design space. My most important mentors have been women UX leaders I met at Workday. There was a cohort of us who just gravitated towards each other and we pushed each other, raised each other up. And these women continue to be mentors to me post my time at Workday. I keep in regular contact with them. Uh, they are people I can bounce ideas off, can go to guidance, and we are absolutely transparent with each other. So to be able to create a feedback loop with other leaders that uh, I created a great relationships with at one of my 
previous workplaces has been, I think, the, the strongest way that I've been successful in my career. They have experience being women leaders at other companies. And so it's always great, especially in a, in a tech world, to have people that have experienced something similar to me and I can go to as a sounding board or to get a gu- advice from. Absolutely. And I know you've made some really interesting industry pivots in recent years. Of course, when we met once upon a time, that was in financial services. And of course, you mentioned Workday and then uh, Uber most recently. And so what's been the appeal in experimenting with different industry verticals? At first, I was hungry to test myself. I had mentioned earlier that I was entirely homegrown as a UX leader, learned entirely on the job. As a career transitioner, I just didn't know if I was any good as a UX leader. I spent a lot of my formative years at Wells Fargo, was there for about six years. Uh, I wanted to challenge myself to try new industries and wanted to surround myself with a peer group that could push me to become a better UX leader. So I mentioned the group uh, of, of mentors that I was lucky enough to, to work with. I also, interestingly enough, created a group of former direct reports who actually also are sounding boards to me. They're an amazing group of designers and researchers who... I also keep in touch with. And so knowing that I've created this network, knowing that I have been involved in different communities at different companies has has actually pushed me to become a better UX leader, to learn in different ways. If I am entirely in a homogenous area where we are all the same, I don't think I would grow in the same way as I did it by switching to different industries, by exposing myself to different ways of working, to to different ways of how companies think about UX. So that's part of the reason as I actually think about my career, I've been super intentional about the, the places I go to and what I focus on because I want to continue to challenge myself and give myself that exposure so that I can continue to grow. And it's not only a show of ambition, but a show of confidence and curiosity all at the same time, listening to some of you know what you've taken away from these industry shifts. And I think um, it's, it's really fascinating to sort of deconstruct what you've been up to and why we don't necessarily see you know, step-by-step career progressions in the digital workplace industry broadly. Many of us are homegrown professionals and in some cases pioneers because we were building out parts of the digital workplace ecosystem practice when a roadmap didn't exist. And I certainly know, just given the history uh, that we've shared together, that that you've been in that area of pioneering and you need that level of tenacity and ambition and curiosity to not only jumpstart this area, but then to take it to the next level. And certainly one of the things that we're seeing as a challenge 
is, you know, people taking some time to look at the work that they're doing and, and pausing to make career decisions. A couple of months ago, I had a chance to chat with Mersad Kaprik, who was our longtime sponsor at City for DWG membership once upon a time. And, and he's on a year sabbatical and having some amazing adventures in, you know, self-discovery. And certainly it sounds like, um, albeit your path has been a different one, um, it's been uh, impactful and seemingly rewarding as well along the way. I think it's important in our um, career vertical, broadly speaking, to share stories like this and to learn from each other because there isn't necessarily a single path to a fulfilling career. And I also think that it's important for us to be lifelong learners, um, regardless of the path that we take because the organizations that we are part of can't do it all for us. Um, we need to be the masters of our destiny. And you're certainly showing that um, that's been the case here as well. And I think it's important to pause and recognize that, especially knowing that for so many years in the technology arena in particular, that you know it's been important for women to be able to find other mentors to help um, elevate each other um, in addition to working across teams with people from lots of different backgrounds. That really resonates with me, Nancy. And, and I think that you hit on something very spot on. Uh, six years it focused on employee experience at Wells Fargo. It was a little daunting at the time, too, to think how, how can my work focus on employee experience where I dealt with things like legacy tools like SharePoint uh, or customized tools by engineers? How can that be transferable and how can I actually shift my career so I can focus in other, in other industries? And I think that that could be very daunting for folks who might want to consider moving away from employee experience. And I certainly have do it. And like you said, it, it takes focus. It takes understanding how you can take the examples that you've created in your career and then transfer them into the industries that you might be uh, interested later on. And I certainly did that by creating case studies that I felt would showcase who I was as a leader, regardless of the tooling or the product that I was focused on during my time at Wells Fargo. That's... Um a great way to think about it. And of course, I'm, I'm also feeling like it's important for us to delve into your experiences at Uber a bit more deeply. It's uh, an unusual organization and, and culture unto itself. And I'm really curious to hear what have been some of your early stage learnings about the people, the culture and employee experience at Uber and any um, insights that you think are important for our wider community to be aware of? I would say that the people level, I've been here a little over six months and the people are all very welcoming and very knowledgeable in our space. When I reflect over the last six months, what I really stands out for me is the fact that Uber is very complicated under the hood. You don't realize the complexity around the business, about the markets we operate in. And as someone coming net new in, 
trying to absorb everything is, is actually difficult because there is a lot going on and we do move fast as a tech company. And so I would say that the people themselves have actually helped my onboarding be as smooth as it can be with just the amount of information being thrown at me, especially with the three different areas I'm responsible for. So the fact that they are able to share with the knowledge that uh, in this virtual hybrid world that we live in now, uh, Uber is actually hybrid. So we have flexible opportunities to either go into office or stay remote throughout the week. And finding the balance there as a new person coming in and then managing through the hybrid world we live in can be very daunting as well. But the people themselves have made that really easy for me to basically pick up information. They're, they share of their documents, they share of their time, and uh, they share of their information. So I've, I really appreciate that. We move fast, and we but we grant the grace to people who might need a little bit more time to to onboard into different areas. So I've always appreciated that about my, my first maybe 30 days at Uber. And the onboarding itself was super smooth. I entirely onboarded virtually, got all of my equipment. Uh, I was set up really quick and pretty much started working by, by week two after completing all of my onboarding activities. And we had a really robust, I think, uh, knowledge system. We had different avenues by, by which I was able to understand all the different kind of areas. And primarily, my workspace is pretty much the Google suite, so entirely in documents, decks, uh, design tools like Figma, and uh, whiteboard tools like Miro. So you shared a little bit about your experience with the people. Uh, you talked about it being a fast-moving culture. Is there anything else um, that helps feed the employee experience um, that uh, is worth spotlighting about the culture in particular? I think our use of the tools actually helps speed. We're entirely on Slack. And I recall just comparing and contrasting my time at Wells Fargo. We were we had Microsoft Teams, or not actually it wasn't Teams, it was Microsoft Skype. And then we primarily used email a lot. So even as I shifted from my time at uh, Wells Fargo to Workday to Calendly and now at Uber, Slack really is a tool that has actually helped me be up to speed on what's going on within the company, within the teams I directly work with. Uh, it's the primary mode of communication. And I actually no longer look at email as much as I probably should. My email is a black hole. And so for me, the, 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 the fact that we are able to have uh, a, a tool like Slack that could help us facilitate conversation, whether it's through actually typing up the words or creating huddles in there, I think was has, has been valuable to help the, the employees just keep abreast of each other, especially because we are hybrid. We often have this mix of folks in the office and, and uh, online or virtual and trying to balance that. I think we, we have the tools that we need to help make that work. Not to say that it's perfect, but we, we do, I think, manage to make it work. And I think teams too have, have chosen days where we would, come in and essentially be magnet days for us. So an example is uh, for the design org, Tuesdays and Thursdays are actually magnet days. They're entirely flexible. If you want to connect with your broader design organization, we have lunches planned, we have events planned. And so the fact that we're able to mix that for our hub areas 
has actually been uh, welcoming, especially for some of the early in career folks. So this is, might be their first job, or maybe they, they got a job during the pandemic and this is their first job in person somewhere. I think managing uh, and finding that a way to balance that for early in career posts has been super helpful for them. There are a couple of things to unpack in everything that you've just said. Um, one thought is uh, your comment about email and one of the things that I'm hearing increasingly is that email is really part of the space where people connect with their partners or um, external context, you know, just like our exchange preparing for chatting today, um, whereas, you know, much of the team collaboration and internal communications is happening on, you know, the likes of a, a Slack or a Microsoft Teams or uh, you know, on the enterprise social channels as well. So I'm not terribly surprised to hear that shift is is happening or has happened in, in your world. Whereas, you know, for both of us who had financial services roots, email was the center of the world for a long, 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 long time. Yes, absolutely. And it was crazy to switch to a world where I no longer look at email. And, and, and but now that I'm immersed in it, it I cannot imagine not being able to quickly, quickly message someone, but also know that we build boundaries around that too, right? We don't expect someone to respond right away. There are rules that you create for yourself or for your team where you have to create the boundaries. So it's not the instant gratification because sometimes we, we are working in the virtual world. We're not always attached to the Slack. You should still have balance your workday to, to make sense based on the meetings that you have, the heads down work time and, and still manage Slack as well. So it's still, like I mentioned earlier, not perfect, but uh, working through that and setting the boundaries is super important. It's certainly one of the outgrowths of the pandemic effect. And, you know, as you were talking about the onboarding process, you know, clearly the balance of virtual activities, as well as the opportunity to connect with people is uh, being balanced in different ways now that we've moved into more of an endemic world. And, you, you talked a little bit about your experiences coming online. Maybe we can take a, a bit more of a step back and um, bring this to you know, the employee experience arena and talk a little bit about what your first 100 days were like as a leader responsible for product design and UX at Uber. So what did that look like? I actually have a process that I use for myself when I onboard into any company. So I use the same process uh, every time I, I move to, to a new company. It's essentially, I separate my first 100 days into people, process, and product. And what that looks like is I have activities that are focused on each of those higher level topics. And so my first 30 days is really focused on getting to know the people. And in those conversations, I focused on getting to know partners, the folks that reported to me peer groups and uh, other folks like that engineering. And I think for me, it's super important in my first 30 days to really get a landscape for the culture, like we talked about earlier, how people interact, some um, any concerns or feedback that I might want to receive from partners that work with the, the design organization. 
the the next 30 days after that into the 60 day mark, I actually focus on understanding process a little bit more. And what that looks like is essentially attending different meetings, understanding why the meetings are occurring uh, and essentially where I need to lean in a little bit more or not. So that also has this aspect of managing my time because I, I was invited to a ton of meetings when I first joined. And the last is understanding the product and still understanding process in my my, my, my last maybe 40 days of that 100-day mark is understanding the product more, spending a little bit more time understanding the areas that are under my particular purview. Not to say that I picked up everything that I needed to in within those 100 days, but it gave me a good foundation for myself. And as I mentioned earlier, I typically use this process in any new company that I join because it's an easy way to also explain to other people, whether it be my manager, my peer group, my direct reports, this is the best way for me to onboard and set that boundary for them too as well so they can understand what I'll be focused on during that first 100 days. And where are you now? What are some of your key focus areas these days? Oh, goodness. I actually just last month went through my first half-year planning at Uber. And that's a process by where we essentially reset and understand what the product teams are going to focus on uh, during the the second half of the year. And so that was a a fascinating process for me to work through because Uber did it slightly different than I've experienced it at other companies. And so creating, watching it happen, but also understanding how I might change process or influence process to better help support the design group was also something I learned about that. I think that Uber is still very complicated. I'm still learning different things around our OKRs, how we, we drive business, how we look at certain markets. And so even as I reflect upon where I was at before, which was enterprise software, and now I'm in the mobility space, I'm still learning a lot. So I'm getting what a little bit more of what I mentioned earlier in terms of challenges. Now my challenges are about learning the business, learning how design fits into the business, and then understanding the metrics that we drive and how that affects the user experience uh, metrics or data that we might want to also influence within the product. So I'm in that spot right now where I feel that I've survived my first half planning. I've created hopefully great partnerships with my product and engineering partners. And, and now I could really, really immerse myself in the business, the OKRs and the product itself too. And for someone who may not be familiar with OKRs, can you just put that in the context of your role? Sure. OKRs are a typical construct that companies use to set, uh, they stand for objectives and key results. And for example, if a company has particular goals that they might want to have, it's put into an OKR format. And that helps teams like product teams or design teams understand more broadly for their pillar area that they, they focus on what we are striving towards. And usually the KRs are achievable, but slightly challenging uh, goals that have metrics tied to it. So an example could be for for Uber, it could be for the rider side, uh, increasing bookings in the rider app. It could be for the earner side, something like 
conversion or with an engage conversion converting a rider into a driver. So these are goals or metrics that might be used in a particular product area to help understand how successful we've been with achieving that for the business. So that's an OKR, at least in my layman's way of explaining it. <laughs> that's great. I appreciate you taking the moment. I'm always conscious that you know we all tend to use acronyms of different kinds. And so um, I think it's, it's important to put those into context. And I think you've done that in a really helpful way. And so just taking us in a slightly different direction, um, I guess, based on where you are in your tenure at Uber, um, I'm always keen to draw out what other learnings um, people can take away from your approach um, and your colleagues and your collective efforts um, as we speak. And so what is some of the, the best advice that you can share based on your vantage view um, inside of product design and user experience at Uber. Sure. And it's also helpful that it's relatively fresh for me. It's something that I'm experiencing even live right now. I would say the first thing, especially as a product design leader, is create great partnerships of trust and transparency with your product and engineering partners. I, I cannot say enough how helpful that has been to me in even acclimating into any culture that I've been in, especially at Uber, are uh, because we move fast. If I don't create those partnerships early and build that trust with that group, then I think I won't wouldn't be as at least as successful to this point as I I am without it. So I would always say that. I, I would also say a learning that I have from Uber is be open to experimentation. I think that within the UX realm, we are sometimes known as folks that might be a little bit more rigid towards experimentation, and that could be uh, putting something into the product and actually testing what it's like in the real life environment. That is an example of an experiment. We might want to do it as a quote A B test and and essentially put it into to product and test. And sometimes in a fast moving environment. Being open to that is is actually key so that we can get results fairly quickly and then pivot. I think the the part that's important is set a plan in place when you you do have an organization that experiments to essentially pivot if something might have gone wrong with the experiment itself. Uh, not having that plan, I think, would would be a little bit detrimental to the UX user experience. So. Be open to experimentation and also have a plan in place for if this experiment goes wrong, where to pivot to afterwards. And I'd say data, always bring in data. The, the one thing I've learned from Uber is Uber has amazing data scientists. They are, they make me feel stupid. And I, I used to be a, a, a math and science scholar, but when you hear data scientists talk about uh, the information that we're pulling for how people engage with our product and how they transform they transfer that data into insights. It's a whole different realm when you're dealing with actual metrics. And I, I would say partner well with your data scientists and, how, and understand how the data that they uh, create and how they, they provide insights for can actually be leveraged uh, towards your design. So that, that's something also that I've been working on here with my designers is uh, partnering with data science as well as product marketing in order to understand different points of views as we go through our design process. And I'm just curious on a, a side note, as you're chatting with the data scientists and um, the product market um, experts, 
how much of a role now is the emotional side, the sentiment playing as part of the work that you're doing? And the reason I ask is that we're seeing much more evidence now of empathy playing a role in the wider digital workplace. So um, if you think about the employee experience as an anchor tenant within the digital workplace, it's important to be able to see how the two connect. It is absolutely still one of the areas that we focus on as a part of our process and design. And if an organization like Uber is not ready for that, we bring it to it. But Uber does a great job of uh, understanding our riders, understanding our, our earners, and really putting ourselves in a position where we have that empathy and can understand it. We have Slack channels actually dedicated to, uh, to the empathy side of it, where we understand uh, what might be happening in the real world. We actually also have product operations folks and market local market folks that understand in their market, in their country, how, how our product is being used and get insights that way. And so we actually have a variety of different ways in which we can build up empathy because that, that is all about surfacing that information, whether it's through UXR and actual user research and, and actual interviews there or data that we're pulling directly from feedback that we're receiving at that market level. That is all available to us, and we do push ourselves to do it. When we're having a conversation about a particular product area, if we might want to make a change, we, we do still advocate for the folks that might use this. We think about different aspects, whether it's accessibility-related, whether it is emotional, whether it is safety concerns. These are all things that are actually top of mind for us, and specifically within the design org at Uber, we actually have a safety team just dedicated entirely to safety, we have a product equity that is dedicated to equity within product, really understanding inclusion and how we build that into the product ourselves and how people experience it. So these are things that are super top of mind to us. And we do, we do our best to ensure that that empathy is there as we go through our design process and we share it with our partners as well. And as much as Uber is a complex fast-moving and global organization, what I hear from the conversation is that it's also hyper-local and hyper-user-centric. That is correct. So what have we missed, Andrea? Was there anything that you were hoping I'd ask that I didn't? I'm actually surprised you didn't ask me how I've experienced the digital workplace at this company or any company that I've been in since I was actually a designer in that space. Go for it. Answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because as someone who has spent a good portion of her career focused on employee experience in digital workplace, as I transitioned from company to company, I realized that I didn't see the internet in the same way. How I saw my work was about access to information versus maybe the old way of thinking about the internet where you have a homepage and you have information on there that you're surfacing to your employees. We certainly had an initiative focused on that uh, at Wells Fargo. How I saw digital workplace was how do I get the tools that I need to do my job? How do I get the information that I need so that I can do my job well? And that actually became 
really search was the primary way that facilitated all of that. I, I needed to find it because we are massive under the hood. Even when I think about Workday, there's just so much information. So how, how do I get that information quickly? Uh, as someone who no longer focused on digital workplace, what I saw is that I heavily relied on on searching uh, as a way to get the information that I needed. So I, I was super fascinated by that myself as I moved away uh, from, from the internet slash digital workplace uh, realm. So having said all of that, what are your parting reflections or advice for digital workplace leaders and practitioners listening to this episode? Be open to experimentation. Find avenues to ensure that you're capturing data and insights. Please have a UX research practice and listen to these experts to, as we talked about earlier, help build empathy and understanding of what the employees are are experiencing as they interact with both the physical and digital uh, touch points that you have available to them. That's certainly some sage advice. And of course, I know for those who are a bit more specialized in employee experience, you have some parting reflections or advice for them as well. I would really echo what I said, really know the employee journeys as the the as they experience it within your company and have building that empathy is super helpful to understanding how your work impacts uh, employees at that deep level. We, as employees, we really experience our workplaces based on the, the different touch points that we provide to them. And so I think understanding that emotional aspect, it would be super helpful to embolden you to even think of with more empathy and bring that into your work, regardless of whether you're in design, you're a product manager, or you're an engineer. Uh, I think empathy is super important whenever you're working in the employee experience world. It almost feels like um, the all roads lead home kind of conversation. And um Uh, I think that's a great way to put a little bow around this conversation. Uh, Last call. Have we missed anything, Andrea? I don't think that we have. Thank you, Nancy. This has just been a wonderful conversation. I'm inspired by some of the bold changes you've made in your career since the days we met long ago. Um, I'm inspired by... Um, the focus that you've had in the first hundred days, looking at um, this approach that you've taken around people, process, and product. And I'm sure that's a model for others to follow, whether it's A, stepping into a new role in industry, or B, if you want to take a fresh look and jumpstart what you're doing anew, I think it has applicability there. And of course, to key off on the importance of not only surrounding yourself with the right mentors, but then paying that forward as you have shown through this conversation and your tenured career. And um, you've been very generous with your sharing and your insights, and it's just been delightful. So a big thank you, Andrea, for coming into the studio today. Thank you for having me, Nancy, and I always appreciate a chat with you. Digital Workplace Impact is brought to you by the Digital Workplace Group. DWG is a strategic partner covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry and boutique consulting services. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com.